0: industrial accidents, ancient poisoners, poison prevention. This is Toxic History. Here is Dr. Anita Mudan, who's going to speak with you about the teacup poisoner. Hi, everyone. Um, I hope you all have your afternoon cup of tea because we are going to be talking about the teacup poisoner today. So the year is 1947. Um, The post-World War II United Kingdom is continuing to evolve with changes throughout the empire. August saw India and Pakistan gain independence from British rule. In September, Cambridge University voted to allow women to become full-time students for the first time. And in November, Princess Elizabeth married Duke Philip in a ceremony which was watched by over 400,000 viewers on television. And fun fact, is the oldest surviving televised event in the UK. On September 7th, 1947, in the Northwest London suburb of Kneesden, Graham Young was born. His mother sadly passed away just before he turned four months old and he was sent to live with his aunt and uncle who lived in the same town. His father and his older sister regularly visited him on weekends, and when he was three, his father remarried and he went back to live with them. Graham was noted by many to have a very poor relationship with his stepmother, which caused him to become very withdrawn and isolated. In school, he was socially isolated, but excelled in certain subjects, notably chemistry. His father even gifted him a chemistry set when he was um, in his early teens. He liked to read in his spare time and focused on the topics of crime, murder by poisoning, medicine, the occult, and Nazis, which should have raised suspicions by a lot of the people around him. He also took to collecting old discarded medication bottles from local pharmacies, as well as stealing chemicals and poisons from his school's chemistry lab. Starting in early 1961, the already fraught relationship Graham had with his stepmother continued to worsen. He began trying to lay curses on her, but they did not appear to work. So he was forced to find alternative means. In April of 1961, he purchased about 25 grams of antimony sodium tartrate from the local pharmacy and hid it in his room. His stepmother found it and reported it to the local pharmacist. Subsequently, he began collecting additional poisons but decided to hide them outside of the home. He managed to collect atropine, digitalis, aconite, and thallium acetate from various pharmacies and his school. He then began experimenting on those around him. So in May of 1961, Graham started poisoning his school classmate Christopher Williams with antimony. He would poison his own sandwiches with about 100 to 200 milligrams of antimony and then share them with Christopher at school. Christopher started to get severe nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain, which were evaluated and repeatedly attributed to gastroenteritis. When his parents kept him home from school, his symptoms would improve, but then whenever he returned to school, his symptoms would return. Graham's next subject um, was his older sister, Winifred. In November of 1961, he started poisoning her with belladonna. One morning, he added 50 milligrams to her tea, uh, and by the time she arrived at work, she was behaving very strangely, and her coworkers took her to the local hospital. She was correctly diagnosed with atropine poisoning there, and while Graham was suspected, his involvement was not confirmed at the time. However, Graham's main target during this time was his stepmother, Molly Young. In early 1961, he started slipping small amounts of antimony sodium tartrate into her food, resulting in recurrent bouts of nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. He continued administering these small doses to her over the next year, and despite multiple visits to her doctor, as well as the hospital, poisoning was never diagnosed or suspected. On April 20th, 1962, he put 1300 milligrams of thallium acetate in her dinner. The following morning, she woke up with extreme, neck stiffness and severe paresthesias in her extremities. That afternoon, she was found collapsed on the ground in excruciating pain and was rushed emergently to the hospital. Unfortunately, she died later that evening. After a post-mortem examination, her death was attributed to complications from a car accident she sustained a few years prior. Thallium was not screened for or even suspected, and it was only revealed later when Graham confessed to her poisoning. While his primary target at home had been his stepmother, Graham had also been slowly poisoning his father, Fred, with small doses of antimony. He escalated his dosing amount and frequency after the death of his stepmother in 1962. Fred ultimately went to the hospital and was correctly diagnosed with irritant poisoning, either due to arsenic or antimony, the latter of which was confirmed. With multiple family members becoming sequentially ill, there were growing suspicions regarding Graham from both the teachers and the staff at his school. On May 22, 1972, a psychiatrist went to his school to evaluate him, posing as a member of the child guidance unit. During this evaluation, Graham started talking at length about his extensive knowledge of poisons. He was arrested at school the following day and found to have antimony in his pockets. At the police station, he immediately confessed to poisoning his father with the antimony, um, but didn't confess to any um, any other poisonings. He was put on trial on July 5th, 1962, and charged with the attempted murder of his father, sister, and his classmate, Christopher Williams. He pled guilty to all charges. He was sentenced to be institutionalized at the Broadmoor Institute for the Criminally Insane for a period of 15 years. The Broadmoor Institute for the Criminally Insane was founded in 1863. It rapidly filled up and led to the subsequent construction of a branch asylum in 1912. During World War I, parts of it were actually used as a prisoner of war camp for mentally ill German soldiers. Graham Young was the third youngest inmate to be institutionalized at Broadmoor. Initially, he had a really difficult time adjusting and eventually realized that he would have to appear to be cured of his psychopathic obsession with poisoning in order to gain an early release. Due to his good behavior, Graham was actually given the responsibility of preparing tea for the staff and the other inmates. He told his fellow inmates that his greatest ambition was to go down in history as a mass poisoner and that thallium was a perfect choice of poison. During his years at Broadmoor, there were four poisoning cases amongst the inmates and staff. Graham later confessed to poisoning one inmate with cyanide. And although he was suspected of involvement in the other three cases, they were never confirmed. In the fall of 1970, he was recommended for early release by the medical superintendent, Dr. Patrick McGrath and psychiatrist, Dr. Edgar Edwin who deemed that he was no longer obsessed with poisoning and was no longer a danger to others. Interestingly, around that time, he was reported to have told a nurse at Broadmoor that, quote, when I get out, I'm going to kill one person for every year I've spent in this place. Nevertheless, five days later, on February 8th, 1971, he was officially released from Broadmoor. After his release, Graham went on to a government training center in Slough to train to become a shopkeeper. While in training, he posed as a student of nearby Bedford College and was able to purchase antimony from a chemist in London in April of 1971. He used the same ruse to also purchase thallium. He went on to poison a a fellow trainee, Trevor Sparks, with antimony. And while Trevor became extremely ill, he did ultimately survive and left Slough for another part of the UK. In May of 1971, Graham accepted a job at a firm owned by John Hadland, which specialized in making optical lenses and photography equipment. This was one of the few companies that legitimately used thallium in their manufacturing, which is one of the reasons it was appealing to Graham. Bob Eagle was the head storeman at the Hadland firm. On June 3, 1971, he received his first dose of antimony in his morning cup of tea. He then went on to get regularly dosed with antimony in either his morning or afternoon tea, resulting in recurrent episodes of nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. His wife took him away on vacation for a week at the end of June. And while he was away, his symptoms rapidly improved. When he returned to work after vacation, Graham administered a fatal dose of thallium acetate in his tea. The following day, he developed paresthesias and severe pain he was admitted to the ICU on July 1st, 1971, and died six days later. His postmortem stated his cause of death was a combination of pneumonia and Guillain-Barre. Ron Hewitt and Diana Smart were both Graham's direct co-workers at Hadland's. He regularly dosed both of them with antimony in their tea, but only enough to cause recurrent bouts of GI upset during the week, with rapid improvement in symptoms on the weekends. Ron Hewitt eventually left Hadlands and moved elsewhere. Diana Smart, however, continued to work at Hadlands and was subjected to repeated small doses of antimony. Following the death of Bob Eagle, Graham restricted his poisoning for several months, only giving those small intermittent doses of antimony to Ron Hewitt and Diana Smart. However, after a few month hiatus, he returned to regular dosing at work in the fall of 1971. David Tilson started receiving doses of thallium acetate in his tea on October 8th, 1971. He only drank a small amount of that first cup, resulting in only paresthesias. The following week, he received his second dose on October 15th, and five days later was admitted to the hospital for severe paresthesias. His hair began falling out shortly afterwards, and he was readmitted to the hospital for a week in November, but ultimately survived. Jethro Batt lived a little bit further away from Hadlands and would often work late to avoid traffic. So he would have a cup of coffee in the evenings before driving home. On October 15th, the same day David Tilson was given his second dose of thallium, Jethro was given a small dose of thallium acetate in his coffee. He only had a small sip due to it tasting overly sweet. So he received a, a sublethal dose. Nonetheless, he developed severe pain, paresthesias, delirium, and lost his hair. But ultimately, he did survive. Around the same time that David Tilson and Jethro Batt were being dosed with thallium, Graham was giving small doses of antimony to Fred Biggs. However, after the departure of Tilson and Bat, he and Fred Biggs began to argue more about the way work was being done at Hadlands. This led uh, Fred to get three doses of thallium acetate in his tea on October 30th. Four days later, he was admitted to the hospital with severe paresthesias and diffuse body pain. He rapidly deteriorated and died on November 19th, 1971. With recurrent bouts of what was dubbed the Bovington bug and the mysterious deaths of several employees over a short time span, Hadlands held a company meeting on November 20th to discuss potential causes of this illness. The three leading theories at the time were radioactivity, a contaminated water supply, or a viral infection. During this meeting, Graham stood up and talked at length about thallium poisoning, which raised suspicions around his involvement in these incidents. The following day, police in Scotland Yard uncovered his history of being admitted to Broadmoor, which had not previously been disclosed at the time of his employment at Hadlands, and he was arrested. Graham confessed to the murders, and police found both his collections of poisons at his home as well as a diary which detailed the poisonings during his time at Hadlands. He had written out details regarding the victim, dose administered, symptoms, and progression of illness. He was charged with the murder of Fred Biggs, whose remains were tested and found to contain large amounts of thallium. Bob Eagle's remains were also subsequently tested and found to contain thallium as well. Graham's trial began on July 19, 1972. During the trial, excerpts from his diary were read aloud. Di irritated me yesterday, so I packed her off home with an attack of sickness. I only gave her something to shake her up. I now regret that I didn't give her a larger dose, capable of laying her up for a few days. F is now seriously ill. In a way, it seems a shame to condemn him, to such a likable man, to such a horrible end. But I have made my decision, and therefore he is doomed to premature disease. He is unconscious, and it is likely he will decline in the next few days. It will be a merciful release for him, as if he should survive, he will be permanently impaired. It is better that he should die. It will remove one more casualty from the crowded field of battle. Graham was sentenced to life imprisonment and eventually moved to Parker's prison on the Isle of Wight. He died there on August 1st, 1990. Graham Young's legacy has continued to endure long after his imprisonment and death. Immediately following his trial, an investigation into the handling and release of mentally ill individuals within the UK prison system was started. The Butler Committee, also known as the Committee for Mentally Abnormal Offenders, was convened in 1972 following the trial. When the final report was issued in 1975, It contained numerous reforms of the psychiatric hospital hospital system, notably the creation of secure psychiatric units in each region. The ease by which Graham was able to purchase his poisons also led to legislative changes, namely the Poisons Act of 1972. This required any person purchasing a regulated substance, including substances which could easily be used as a poison, to have the appropriate license, which had to be verified by the pharmacist at the time of purchase. His life story also inspired a book, The St. Albans Poisoner, written by Anthony Holden and published in 1974. This book later inspired the 1995 1995 film The Young Poisoner's Handbook, as well as several other books. Um, His sister, Winifred, actually wrote a book that chronicled her experience of growing up with Graham and being one of his first poisoning victims. Unfortunately, he has also gone on to inspire more generations of poisoners with his methods. In 2005, a Japanese girl was convicted of poisoning her mother with thallium. She admitted to being inspired by Graham Young's journal and even created her own version of a poisoning diary, which chronicled her slow poisoning of her mother. Thus, the teacup poisoner's legacy continues to endure to this day. That's it, I'm happy to take any questions.